0: Well good morning. Great to see you today. So glad that you are here. You know uh, a few days ago I had a return to make at a store and uh, Dan and I were out together and I said Dan just drop me off at the door. This will just be really quick. I'll just be in and out. First mistake right there. So I I walked into the store and I thought, well, this doesn't look bad. There was one person at the counter, one other person in line and me. And I thought, this, this shouldn't take too long, right? And then I noticed that the the very kind person working the counter there was having trouble with the register. It wasn't cooperating. It kept, you know, kicking her out of it. So she had to call a manager over to help her, and together they worked on it and figured it out. And I thought, oh, okay, we're going to keep moving. But then I realized that the customer at the counter still had several more transactions that needed to happen, and they were very complicated ones, right? And I, I stood there, and I'm No, I'm not looking at my watch. I'm checking my phone, right? Looking at the time, you know, and I'm thinking, come on, come on, let's keep moving. And as the minutes ticked by, ooh, can you just feel what happens internally when you're in a moment like that? You know, you just feel that angst and that frustration, you think, man, we needed to get going. This was supposed to be really, really quick, and this is not quick. It's that feeling when time is wasting away, and you don't have time to waste. Do you ever have moments like that? And you think, ah, this is really killing me. Well, you know, I got through that moment just fine. But it reminded me how in our world, Fast is something that is so highly desirable. Speed. We value speed. We want things to happen fast. Think about that. We have fast food, and we want to move through that line fast, right, when we're getting our fast food. We want fast internet. This is really important, especially we've learned that uh, many of us working from home or doing school from home. We want fast delivery of our packages, right? Uh, If we order something online, how quick can it get to my door? Uh, We want a fast response to our text messages, right? Uh, We always appreciate that. We want a fast cup of coffee, right? Do you have a Keurig? I have a Keurig so you can have fast coffee, on-demand. We like fast recipes when it doesn't take all day to prep for dinner. We like our cell phones to be charged fast, right? What I love the most with speed, I like fast obedience from my children. Uh, This is what I really love and desire. You know, we live in a world that values speed. We celebrate it. We market it. We strive for it. We look for, for things that we can uh, do more in less time so that we can cram more into our lives. Fast is highly desirable. Products that save us time are all the rage. An Instapot. Anybody have an Instapot? All right. Yeah. There's some good recipes out there. Right? Get dinner faster, Instapot. Or um, have you ever watched videos online or listen to um, podcasts online? Have you noticed that most of those delivery systems now have the option where you can speed up the video or the podcast? So you can, or an audio book, you can listen to it at twice the pace because you can listen faster than someone can talk. So you can take in content much, much faster. They might sound like a chipmunk along the way, but you'll get through that content a lot faster. We live in a fast paced world that values speed. Life is busy, there are demands everywhere, efficiency is key. And before we know it, we discover that our souls are wired for speed. This is the world in which we live. And this can be a real challenge for us. Because this value of uh, speed and fast and hurry becomes the state of our bodies and our souls. Hurry becomes our reflex response to any situation. We live in a world... That moves fast. And and that means that when we find ourselves in a moment in our lives where our circumstances are unpleasant, it is ingrained in us to move fast, to do everything we can to get to the other side of that moment. We've we've, uh, programmed ourselves to say fast is the answer for difficult circumstances. Right? Think about this. When the job gets difficult, you hurry to find a new one. When the relationship is on the rocks, you hastily decide it's time to walk away. When the diagnosis comes, you rush to find treatment. When the answer that you are seeking doesn't come, when it seems elusive, then instead you rush and settle for a snap decision. When your plans are thwarted, we move fast to worry, to fear, To anxiety. When the person at the register is uh, moving too slowly, we give them some speedy, free advice. (laughs) See, we've learned fast is the answer to our difficult circumstances. Because without resolution, if I can't move past this quickly, then I don't know if I can make it through. Now, to be fair, fast isn't always bad. Speed is a gift. And there are many moments in our lives when that's exactly what we need. If I'm falling off of a cliff and hanging by my fingernails, please move fast to help me, right? Um, it's not a bad thing. But, but here's the thing. The danger for us, though, the danger is that, is that we live in a world that tells us that speed is the solution. And that's where the danger lies. Because if we find ourselves moving too fast through moments that really matter, we can miss out on some things that God has for us. Well, today we're wrapping up our summer series called Campfire Stories as we've been rediscovering some Old Testament classics. And today we're going to look at the story of someone who moved fast in an unexpected way. It's the story of a king who was faced with a very difficult circumstance, and his name is Jehoshaphat. What a name, Jehoshaphat. Now, I first learned about King Jehoshaphat when I was in fifth grade, and our church had a children's musical, and believe it or not, the kid's musical was about King Jehoshaphat, right? What? How did they pick him? I don't know. and And I played the part of the choir director. I was the choir director, Angie. And and so I got to wave my arms at the other kids while they sang this song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I want you to know the lyrics because they're really awesome. He's fat, fat, Jehoshaphat. What a good, good king is he. He's a good, good king who's everything a good, good king should be. Everybody loves him. He's the one we all adore because fat, fat, Jehoshaphat loves the Lord. Those are some memorable lyrics right there, right? They have stuck with me all of these years. You know, there are a lot of really good kings in scripture. I wonder, how did they choose Jehoshaphat for this musical? I don't know. Maybe it was just this irresistible rhyme, right? Fat Jehoshaphat. Oh my. (laughs) So I was the choir director in... Uh, the play, and I wonder if I got that part because that would keep me from singing, (laughs) because that is not my gift. Uh, But as a side note, there are many of you here who do have musical gifts, and I just want to remind you that choir practice is on Tuesday night. In fact, I can't wait until we're back in this space a week from today, and there will be a choir in the choir loft again. It's been a long time, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, talk to Angie after the service. Like how I worked that in there today, yeah. Uh, Would love to have you uh, be a part of the choir. Okay, so fat, fat, Jehoshaphat. Now, the truth is, we have no idea how much this guy weighed, (laughs) But one thing is true. He was a good, good king. Jehoshaphat is this shining example of a good king in the Old Testament amidst so many kings who were bad or, or went astray. He was the king of Judah. That's the southern region of Israel after uh, it was split into two regions after Solomon's death. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, and he took the throne at age 35, and he reigned for 25 years. When we look back at his life and his legacy, it's quite clear that he was a person who followed God. He worked in the kingdom to, step, to abolish idolatry among the people. He was wise in governing He reformed the local justice system. He was wise economically. He made smart decisions in trade and commerce. He was well loved by the people. He was a man of good character. In 2 Chronicles 22, it describes him as Jehoshaphat, a man who sought the Lord with all his heart. And Jehoshaphat knew what it was to face difficult circumstances. So today we're going to look at a story that's a part of his life in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to walk through uh, that story together. As 2 Chronicles chapter 20 begins, it says, The Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Well, this doesn't sound good. This is the beginning of a plot with uh, some drama to it right at the beginning. And we know if we've uh, read in the Old Testament that Israel and Judah had recently waged war on the Moabites, and they had done some major damage there. And that story is in 2 Kings chapter 3. So now the Moabites are coming for a counterattack, and they're not coming alone, as we see here in the text Verse 2, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in hazes on Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So to the east is the Dead Sea, and on the other side of the sea are these three nations who are coming together to attack Judah. They've been spotted, and they will be coming soon. This is the picture of a difficult circumstance, isn't it? This is an intense moment. Can you imagine the panic and the fear for the king and for his people? Maybe you can imagine because some of you have been there. In other ways, you've had those moments in your life when you feel like you are under attack. Maybe you know what it feels like to feel attacked by bad news. That seems to change everything in a moment. Maybe uh, you know what it is to feel attacked by something completely unexpected that turns your world upside down. And in moments like that, what is our default? Well, I I think we're programmed as as humans. Fast is the answer for difficult circumstances. We have to move fast. And we would imagine that that would especially be the case for Jehoshaphat. The armies are getting closer. They are literally racing the clock. It's urgent. And so, good king, you have to move fast and come up with a plan. Move fast to be alarmed and to be fearful about what's happening. Move fast to planning and preparation. Move fast to rely on your quick thinking and your good leadership and decisive action to know what to do. Well, Jehoshaphat is alarmed, as we will see in the text, and he does move fast, but not in the way that we would expect. Verse 3, alarmed, frightened, shaken, afraid. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. See, Jehoshaphat in this moment demonstrates that he's living with a different kind of perspective. He does move fast, but he moves to a fast. A fast is voluntarily abstaining from something for spiritual purposes, most frequently abstaining from food. It's a spiritual discipline to redirect your focus towards God. That means taking time that you would normally spend eating, or if you fast from other things, you might take time that you would spend scrolling social media or engaged in a hobby, and using that time to pray and to seek the Lord. See, fasting is is simply a way to create some intentional space in our lives, space that is reserved for God. Now, in the case of Jehoshaphat, he moves fast, but not in the sense of speed, but he moves fast in intensity to turn to God. Jehoshaphat's fast isn't speedy. It's not even slow. It's actually a complete stop. See, Jehoshaphat models for us a a different response to difficult circumstances. You see, by nature, what we learn is that fast is the answer for difficult circumstances. But we're invited to consider that fast can be the answer for difficult circumstances. You see, when we follow God We're invited to a different way of living. So Jehoshaphat does the opposite of what comes natural in a moment like this. Of course, what would be natural is for him to gather up the troops and to say, Okay, everybody, get ready. It's time. Hit the gym one more time. Grab some extra protein. Go time is here. But instead, he takes not just himself but the whole nation and he calls them to a fast right? That's not normally what you would do when you're preparing for a fight, right? When you're fasting from food, you're losing energy. You're getting hungry. You're getting depleted in the process. He does the opposite of what comes natural. But you see, when we follow God, we discover a different way of living, and we're invited to see our circumstances through a different lens, because here's the truth. When fast is the answer, your eyes are on your circumstances. But when fast is the answer, your eyes are on God. And that changes things. So this is what we find in the story. Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast. Verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, They came from every town in Judah to seek him. This is the kind of a sacred stop that really stretches us. It disrupts the usual way that we do things. See, when we are faced with difficult circumstances, you know what we usually do? We usually turn our mouths to God, but we keep our eyes on our circumstances. (laughs) You see, what we have here is a different kind of picture. Turning our entire attention, our words, our mouths, our heart, our eyes, everything to God. Turning our attention to God. See, this this transforming power right here in this moment that we find in the text is not just that Jehoshaphat prayed and turned to God. It's that he turned his entire attention to the Lord. So Jehoshaphat and and all the people turned their attention to the Lord, and Jehoshaphat voiced a prayer for them. I want us to read this prayer and pray this prayer. Perhaps even you'd like to borrow some of these words today in verse 6. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who Uh, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? Listen to this. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a powerful prayer this is. And, you know, we find several things in this prayer that are modeled for us in these moments as we turn our attention to God. Uh, First, we, we find the invitation to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. Did you hear that in the prayer? Lord, the God of our ancestors. And even as they say the God of our ancestors, I think in their minds and in their hearts, they would be remembering the stories of how God had carried them and led them all of these years and generations. And they pray, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. See, there's something powerful about pausing in the presence of God and proclaiming his name and his power and his authority. See, that reorders our hearts when we do that. We also find in this prayer uh, to pause and ask God for help. Did you hear that in the prayer? God, see these armies? Will you not judge them, God? See, When we pause in the presence of God and and when we state our need to God, we're affirming his care and his attention over these things that matter to us. And then we trust God with what matters most. So powerfully that prayer is concluded. For we have no power to face this vast army or this difficult circumstance that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, it says that all the men of Judah with their wives and their children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. What a moment that must have been as they stood before the Lord. And as they stood there, it was an act of surrender. I imagine the intensity of the moment would have been palpable as their presence, their their full attention is turned to God. And as they offer this prayer, storming the gates of heaven for help. See, this powerful prayer of great intensity came in the midst of a fast, of a sacred stop. See, notice that. Because the stakes are so high. See, in these moments, when the stakes are so high, speeding to react is not the answer. See, when the stakes are so high, trusting God is the thing that must be done. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a powerful statement. Friend, I wonder... What about you today? Maybe you have some big things going on in your life these days. Maybe there are ways that you feel yourself under attack. Maybe you feel the urgency of a need that's unfolding right now in your life. And I wonder what would happen if you accepted the invitation to pause in the presence of heaven for a sacred stop. To give your full attention to God. And I know (laughs) that doesn't feel natural. That's a bold and daring thing to do in the face of a huge need. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You know what's so powerful about that statement, about that prayer? See, it's simply this. Our eyes dictate the direction in which we move, right? We know that to be true about our lives. That's why when someone's learning to drive, we always say, keep your eyes on the road, right? This is driving 101 because if, if you're driving your car and your eyes are going somewhere else, your car starts drifting. You don't even realize it, but you begin drifting because that's what happens. We move in the direction of our eyes, that's why it's very dangerous to fix your eyes in one place while you're walking in another direction. That's why you shouldn't look at your phone while you're walking. Did you know that? Just free advice today. Um, right? Our eyes dictate the direction in which we move. And and so that's true in our lives as well. If our eyes are fixed on our circumstances, upon our problem, upon our difficulty, then that means that our circumstances will dictate what we should do. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we are positioning our lives for his provision. We're giving him our full attention, That means we're positioning ourselves to be able to hear from him. See, our world tells us that fast is the answer to difficult circumstances. That's what comes natural. As we fix our gaze on our problems, we hurry to worry and fear and rushing to action. But Jesus invites us to discover how fast can be the answer for difficult circumstances, as we pause in the presence of God and say, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. The text tells us that after Jehoshaphat and the people fasted and prayed, that the Lord spoke through a man named Jehaziel. We find that in verse 15. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's a powerful promise right there and a good reminder for us. And as the story unfolds, and I encourage you to take some time and read it this week, what we discover is that God provides and protects, that God is faithful and God is trustworthy, and miracles happen. But I wonder, maybe they would have missed it. (laughs) Maybe the story would have been totally different if they would have rushed to action instead. My friend, I wonder, how about you today? What might happen in your life if you accepted the invitation, this this Labor Day weekend, to take some time for a sacred stop, to pause in the presence of God, and to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is worthy of your trust. You know, this Invitation doesn't just happen in the Old Testament through the example of this good king. This is an invitation of Jesus. Do you remember in the New Testament when when Jesus said to his followers, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, so you can get moving and move fast. Go, go, go. (laughs) That's not what Jesus said. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I can't think of a better way for us to pause in the presence of Jesus today and to be reminded of His provision than for us to meet Jesus at the table, at the table where we are invited to come and to encounter Him. This morning, as we prepare for a a time of communion, we, we come to the table, this invitation of Jesus, and we remember who he is and this promise that he gives us. In the scripture, it tells us how this moment unfolded as Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And the scripture says that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Until he comes again. In just a moment, we'll be serving communion. And uh, when that happens, you'll find the tray. And there in the tray, you'll find a, a, a set of cups, double cups. So reach in and, and take those out together. And the lower cup will be the bread. And the top cup will be the juice. I want you to know today as well that we practice open communion. And that means that all who choose to follow Jesus are invited to partake in communion today. Now, I want to invite you as you take those elements today to just hold them in your hands. In a few minutes after everyone's been served, I'll lead us and we'll partake all together. I want to encourage you to use these moments. The scripture invites us to prepare our hearts before we take communion. So take these moments to pray right there in your seat to prepare your heart to encounter jesus what a good way for us to practice a sacred stop today to fix our attention on jesus servers will you come and wait upon us now jesus said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me take and eat Jesus said, this is my blood, which is for you. Take and drink. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we're so grateful for these quiet moments, for this sacred stop in your presence to pause and to fix our eyes on you. God, I pray for each one of us today, even with the taste of these elements in our mouths. God, we pray for a fresh encounter with you. God, we pray today that you would give us courage and hope and strength. God, would you transform and change our hearts as we fix our eyes on so grateful, God, that we can trust you with what matters most, that you're not asleep at the wheel, that you're fully engaged, that you're fully aware. And so we pause in your presence today, and we say we trust you. We trust you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. We thank you for these moments to gather. Hear our hearts, Lord, as we continue to worship you now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.